Alright everybody, welcome. This is Raven's Nest Podcast and you are listening to Raven. Since this is gonna be the first episode, I guess it is only appropriate to introduce a little bit about myself. So my name is Raven. I am the League of Legends coach for the UBC uh, B team last year and most likely will be the coach for the UBC B team again this year. And I am a collegiate coach, which means I am partaking in the collegiate scene. So that at least is my background in terms of accolades that I've gotten as a coach. We have gotten ace place at CSL last year. That was the big, big achievement, including, I believe, uh, getting top, I think top three in one of uh, the tournaments. I don't really remember the name. It was ace. It was a quick tournament that we participated um, on a weekend, but it included some pretty powerful teams such as uh, uh, Simon Fraser University. So, you know, there's that. Anyways, the first topic that we're going to discuss about, at least on this podcast, would be about the differences between professional and collegiate games, because I think there's not a lot of people who understand that collegiate and professional League of Legends have a lot of differences in the way um, it is played and in the way you would actually even think about it. So, for example, in professional League of Legends, right, we can expect that the players will be pretty adept at a lot of uh, the champions in the game because that's what they're paid to do. That's that's what entails being a professional, is being really good. Although there are some champions that a professional might be better at uh, over another, we can still expect a certain level of quality just because of their skill and just because of their knowledge and understanding. Whereas in collegiate, it's a little less so because yes, we do have a certain level of proficiency with every single champion and our players can play us every single champion to a certain level of proficiency. It's not going to be as close as in the colli- as in the professional scene because in collegiate, a lot of the players are around diamond, I would say. That's about pretty average, diamond, high diamond, uh, maybe low masters to some extent. So because of that, it's much more different because the skill gap between their best champion and their worst champion is much higher. For example, their best champion, they might be playing that on a master, grandmaster level, Whereas their worst champion in that position, they might be playing that on around a gold or silver level. It's really, really um, different. And it, so therefore in collegiate, the meta changes much more differently than the professional meta in the case where it is still to some extent champions that aren't considered meta or aren't considered air quotes good can still be picked, which um, allows for a lot more flexibility in the draft process, but also leads to a lot more pain uh, when it comes to coaches and comes to drafting. Because the probably the largest difference when it comes to at least to drafting from professional and collegiate at least, is if you're looking at professional games, you know, you're you're gonna have a lot of coaches, right? You're gonna have analysts, coaches and everything. But the thing that really stands out about professionals is that you have access to VODs, right? You have access to their past matches, especially their past recent matches, you also can record scrims and everything of that sort. So it makes it way easier for your 
um, you know, the professionals to figure out, oh, how does this guy play? How does this guy, you know, what what can this team do? What do they? How do they like to play? What what champions are they? Feel, do they do they seem to pick more? What can we develop a counter strategy around that? It's less so in collegiate because there are so many collegiate players. For example, CSL had about one thousand teams last year, and it's the second largest um, collegiate. A tournament basically at least in my opinion because it's a strictly collegiate tournament and it's only probably second only to riot's um official collegiate um uh, tournament scene right um but yeah so a thousand teams and like over five players a team so you're looking at about five six seven eight thousand players right so it's really hard to even figure out where to even begin with this kind of uh, to scout for these kind of things because you're gonna have to watch a lot of VODs uh, back, so it's a lot of work on the coaches, especially in collegiate where you typically only have a single coach per team, maybe a manager if you're lucky. If not, you might not even have coaches at all and the team might be completely self-run, in which case, you know, studying VODs and learning from VODs is hard, if not impossible. You're gonna have to go through each um, player's kind of champ uh, kind of like rank history, try to find if Riot's client has saved any ranked re- any ranked games that they've played. And so therefore the process of scouting and for looking at VODs is much more difficult. And it's, so you're going to have to be kind of focused more on what they played recently rather than how they play, which makes drafting a much more difficult process. Because when it comes down to it, drafting is not only about trying to counter the champions that they play, but also trying to counter their exact playstyle. And therefore, if you're not able to draft in that sort of fashion, well, uh, you're gonna have a really terrible time now, aren't you? So that's the main that's the main issue, at least I feel with collegiate, uh, with coaching collegiate. Over, I feel like if you're to coach pro, is that we're gonna have a big big issue with um with kind of scouting and drafting as well also scouting high school talent is also really really interesting and difficult at the same time because you there's no i mean you can look at solo queue and everything but you also have to try to find people who are in high school and willing to kind of attend your college right to play for your team so typically um, universities will hold tryouts and everything. Uh, the scale of these tryouts can be, you know, range quite heavily, right? Um, I can't go into a lot of detail about the way our university does tryouts because I want to keep kind of our drafting process a little bit more kind of tightly knit. But for example, um, I can, the stuff I can reveal is that, you know, we're, we we do like tryouts almost every, start of every year where we're going to have, you know, players who are past a certain rank threshold come in and will and then you know will kind of decide who makes it into which team if we look at it like a school like marisville right who is pretty dominant at uh in the collegiate uh, law scene they have a combine uh, i think every summer where talented high school prospects can attend and can get their VODs reviewed and their plays reviewed by professional coaches and of that sort. So there's another option for them there also. However, 
um, for like for school like us with not as big of a reputation, it's a little harder to get players. I feel like um, it's really about just praying that you have you know good players who are willing to come in at any given time. And the thing with collegiate also is that your goals are gonna tend to have a pretty high turnover rate because again, players are only really gonna stick on a team for about four to five years, depending, right? Because you know nobody, because ha- you know most of the collegiate kind of tournaments only allow you know certified college players to be participating in this tournament. So therefore, it's really really difficult for uh, for us to kind of keep our players because you know players graduate right they have to graduate from college right so therefore again it's a pretty high turnover rate so in terms of building team synergy you only really stickly have maybe a year to build synergy with that team and then at that point after that you may have to change out one or two players um because of graduation and things of that sort so it becomes really really difficult at least from a synergy building standpoint as well for your players to kind of be able to build this kind of very strong synergy that a lot of pro teams might have, you know? For example, if we look at like T1 in Korea or like Damwon, you know, they have had the same players for over a year now. So, you know, they've had a lot of time to work together, to get to know each other, to build off, you know, each player's strengths uh, and whatnot. And that kind of translates to in-game because, you know, at a certain point, after playing with someone for so, uh, for enough time, you tend to be able to understand what they what they like to do, what they want to do, because you will be able to figure out um, how they like to play and what what they like to play. You know, they do sometimes communication. Um, you guys know each other so much that communication isn't as necessary because you guys will be on the same page, and that's I think the most important thing in collegiate is for people to be on the same page because again it's really hard to find to be centered to like i said develop team synergy and changing someone's play style completely over the course of a year it's pretty pretty difficult because even even professionals if they want to like make a very smooth transition it's not super quick they are gonna have to work months and months and months for it um to make a very smooth transition so therefore, it becomes really, really, um, as I said, it becomes really difficult to again build synergy and to change kind of playstyles over the course of a year. It is very much possible, but um, you know, you get less time doing it, and of course, you know, you have a lot more kind of riding on you because you have a lot more kind of tournaments and everything, and you got to make the most of every match, right? Of every scrim of every match. Also, because you know, collegiate is collegiate, and the the name comes from there. There's much more limited practice time because we don't have the luxury of the professional players to be able to play every single day. We have work, we got, you know, schoolwork, we have, you know, other commitments that we're going to have to um, kind of pursue. So therefore, practice also starts to be, um, there's much less practice also. And solo queue sometimes, uh, you know, depending on the players and what you know courses they take or whatever sometimes also can be a little bit hard to come by so yeah that's it becomes much difficult to much more difficult to actually really develop a player in collegiate as you know as maybe ex- unless you know maybe the player is an amateur you know compared to like say an amateur player who's like who maybe stop college has a lot more free time to 
grind and to play the game and therefore has a lot more time to improve right so that's the at least that's in my opinion some of the downsides of playing collegiate it's pretty damn difficult to be honest as a coach um and as you know just trying to develop as a player and even as a player it's really hard because you have league is such a big commitment right because you're you have to learn there's so many nuances and facets of the game that you're gonna have to pick up as a player and it becomes really really difficult to pick up every single kind of facet while maintaining while trying to juggle the everything else in your life you know some players have a job you know you gotta get you know food on your plate somehow um depending on parents right and you also as i said need to keep up with your coursework so it becomes really really difficult but you know it's rewarding though when you see some improvement or you see some change because you know that change doesn't come easily so it becomes much more rewarding it becomes much more interesting and fun to see when players do change um so yeah at least that is, that's the big difference i can see personally like I, don't get me wrong collegiate is fun and all but um you know at least coming from a strictly developmental standpoint it's not maybe the best environment to take and develop a player um that's why i think off-season boot camps are particularly necessary because we need to get the players kind of working together as quick as possible and i believe you know trying to get the team sorted as quick as possible um during the before the start of the school year is probably the best idea because you have you know every we only have about 365 days right um to make a team so um every day wasted is a day you know that could be going into building team synergy could be going to practice and everything and therefore it becomes much more integral that you kind of speed up that you kind of are able to start that scouting process earlier and to be able to get the team together earlier so that you know they have much more um, time to get to know each other and for the coaches to work with them and for them to also improve over the course of the year the other interesting thing at least when it comes to let's talk about the collegiate meta actually like what's what's meta in collegiate funnily enough uh, because some stuff might surprise you for example i mean we do follow the pros to some extent like we do follow like what the, uh, we do kind of analyze um professional games and see what do they pick however at least the way i personally like to um draft because i'm more uh i focus more on the draft rather than on the micro plays um the way i personally like to draft and whatnot is i try to look for team synergy right and i think that's the main thing because i feel that um in a draft the most important important thing is team uh team and champion cohesion because there's no point in having five really good players but if the champions are completely off theme it makes the victory conditions a little bit more blurred a little bit more complicated i think that complicated victory conditions to in some regards can be good to some extent however i think when it comes to collegiate have the more complicated your victory conditions the more chances it has of failing right like if you pull it off you pull it off right but you pull it off well and you you know stomped up opposition really cool and you look really cool doing it however there's a lot big chance of failure and i don't know if that's something that uh, you want to risk every single match especially towards the end so you sometimes want to play a little bit safer so i think prioritizing team cohesion is and it 
singular theme within a team composition, I think it's recommended. For example, I remember last year we used to play a lot of, you know, Vladimir occasionally because our team, um, our kind of general uh, playstyle that the team kind of eventually kind of uh, veered towards and that I kind of encouraged was a very dive heavy playstyle, right? Our team were, was really good at coordinating dives and really good at engaging team fights and, you know, being able to pick uh, fights and being able to execute well in those team fights is a particular strength of the team. Whereas, you know, if there's a little bit of inaction, that's where our team you know, might get picked off occasionally. So I try to build for these kind of dive-heavy team comps. And it really simplified the play calling, especially listening to team comps and everything, especially uh, the shot caller had much easier time being able to, you know, call the play because we, they can only say, okay, let's just dive in. And then each player on the team knows their roles, for example. So we used to play like a lot of Vladimir, a lot of Hook. Uh, we played a lot of, you know, Nautilus, for example. We played a good amount of Renekton as well. Just champions that can kind of generally get in. Um, we played Aurelia. Okay, like occasionally we play Riven. So I think meta champions, yes, you must you know, always heed them and always, you know, kind of have them at the back of your head, at least what the professionals are doing. Uh, even if, you know, sometimes they don't optimally pick them, you know, there's a reason they do pick them. Um, there's some reason that they have to pick them, right? Otherwise, you know, it's kind of a weird, weird line of thought if you pick a champion just for the hell of it, just because other people are playing it. But so there must be a reason that the pros themselves are playing it, um, even though it might not be concrete or it might not be you know, the best reason, it's still a reason nevertheless, right? So you're gonna have to always kind of keep those champions at the back of your head. However, being able to, you know, be flexible and to not be constrained by the meta, I think is ideal. For example, early on before the new item changes, um, back when we saw the old items, I think it was a patch or two before the new items hit, we started playing a lot of Amumu because we felt that we wanted a lot we felt i felt that our team could use a little bit of that aoe kind of stun and amumu's ultimate was perfect in providing that aoe ultimate and that aoe stun which means that you know when it comes team fighting we have a much easier time beating the enemy team for example we sometimes would play malfight amumu right for absolute devastation in terms of just hitting the amumu ulti and the malfight being able to dive in right and you you add maybe samira on top is Samira released? I think so. Um, for example, you add like, another kind of engage, kind of diving ADC, for example, maybe Kaisa or something into the fold, and you have a very, very devastating, um, you know, team composition, right? Capable of just going in, for example, or you can even have an Ash um, kind of play an Ash, uh, let's say an Ash Brom, to just kind of like, so you have two engage coming in and you have the Ash kind of shooting from a medium range and Braum just to generally peel back for her. And a mid lane can play something like a Vladimir or like a Rumble, right? To further add on to that AOE damage and to kind of provide provide this nice kind of line for the, uh, for the main kind of, for the Ash to do work, right? So that's the kind of, kind of style that you have to play like you don't want to be constrained too much by the meta you want to be able to be flexible you always want to be able to come up with inventive picks and i think that's the purpose of scrims and a big regret is that sometimes we don't have enough scrims because i would i personally love trying out 
as many different kind of champions as I can and trying a lot of different kind of playstyles, a lot of different ideas. I sometimes will go into practice tool for hours and hours on end just testing, 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 limit testing. Like for example, champion, okay, why? Like, let's look at her kit, what does she do? Okay, maybe if I pick this, if I pick this, oh yeah, she does this amount of damage. However, if I change out this item, what if? What about this? Can we, okay, this item uh, does this much damage, okay. So what would be the best situation? Why, why would I pick this item? Why would I pick that item over this item? So there's a lot of times where I like to just think about, um, you know, champion builds, champ just champions in general. Sometimes I'll look at a pro match, I'll see, okay, maybe what, if I were to draft, what would I pick against their team comp? At least judging from, you know, what they're playing, what would I be able to pick into them, trying to counter them and everything. It's always thought experiments, and but I think as a player and as a coach, you always want to be kind of thinking of these things, as, always want to think of the what if, you know? Like, what if we pick this instead of this? What if we pick this instead of this? Always looking for alternatives to the meta, I think is what's ideal because that gives you more options and it leads you to be able to find the ideal option right because you don't always want to just like i said follow the meta because sometimes the meta yes is you know what's good and what's being played however it might not be the most ideal situation and might not be the most ideal kind of pick for a certain um you know enemy summoner and what they like to pick right what they like to pick and how they like to play the champion. For example, Hecarim, you could play him tank, right? Like, he was really tanky. For, like, a couple patches ago, you know, Hecarim was running wild as hell, you know, building turbo chem tank and just being tanky as hell. However, you might have those weird off players who might build him, uh, you know, for damage, right? So you also have to be careful of that. You always have to be cognizant of that. And that's why you don't want to just kind of cookie-cutter your builds. You want to, like, look at your enemy teams. I... Sometimes when I'm, uh, I understand this when, you know, when players kind of generally, you know, think about, um, what items they pick. A lot of times I'm, I always hear this, especially when it comes to just like talking to players and everything, not necessarily my players from my team or players from a professional collegiate team, but just, you know, League of Legends players in general. It's, I always hear the, like the term, oh yeah, I'm a meta slave, right? And I think that's a very, that is very very um restricting right um just following the meta you know like the meta yeah sure meta stands for i think most effective tactics available um but like um you know it's not always what you need you know for example you might have like weird off picks right that forces you to have to think in a different way and forces you to itemize a certain way. You might have an opponent itemize in a certain way that f that if you build a if you just build a cookie cutter standard, you're not countering exactly what they're doing, right? So it, I feel like it's always having to be cognizant about things, right? That's why when I at least I play my games, I try to keep my champ pool as open as I can, even though I'm not good on those champions. I feel that, you know, just being able to play, just being able to counter like a champion, right? Just having at least having the tools to be able to do it is, uh, you know, it makes it much easier to at least play against the champion, right? For example, if you play, let's say, against like a Nautilus or something, right? Being able to maybe pick, for example, Morgana or something, right? Something that can dis dissuade the dive, for example, like Morgana, is really nice because, again, I may not hit every single Q in the world, but. I'm still, you know, just being able to black shield my team, maybe from the follow-up route of the, of the auto, 
to or like you know in case the Nautilus follows up with an ultimate being able to black shield him even though I black shield the hook a little too late however the black shield might stop the ultimate right which is 100% ideal for example the solar flare right I may not be able to black shield the solar flare in time but I may be able to black shield the Zenith blade uh, from coming in which is insanely ideal or let's say if the Zenith blade comes in I may not be able to black shield the Zenith blade but I'm able to black shield the solar flare and the Shield of Daybreak that comes out uh, after that. So, yeah, just being, I think, being flexible and not just listening to what the meta says, you know. I think there's always value in a player who likes to experiment, who likes to try things, who likes to think about the game critically. I think, you know, just don't go on autopilot, you know. Be able to think about the game. Be able to think. Um, just actively th think, you know. Some players I see when I... When I watch, they're not really quite thinking of what they're doing. They're kind of just going on to autopilot, like, yeah, this is what I'm doing. This is what I have been doing, you know, and just going like this. When you play, sometimes there is benefit to even, like, for example, talking to yourself uh, and, like, talking to yourself throughout the game. For example, sometimes I might go into a game and just keep, um, kind of talk to myself, basically. All right, all right. Um, I'm level two. I have this ability and this ability. Uh, the wave is here. The wave state is currently pushing. I have a bit of time. Enemy jungler started down here, so most likely it's up there. Therefore, maybe I can go for a row mid. And then, you know, look at the mid And then when I say that, I quickly check the mid wave state, see how that, I like, start to maybe threaten the roam. I move out of the lane, but then I quickly check the mid lane state, see how it's doing and realize, okay, maybe the mid lane is not uh, conducive at a conducive state for a gank or for, you know, kind of me being able to roam. So instead, why don't I try to invade their jungle? Um, because I know that the jungler is not there at the moment, unless he's doing some super weird passing and put down a ward. So these kind of things are, you have to be super cognizant of. Because, you know, you always want to be keep talking to yourself. You want to keep talking to yourself. Why are we doing this? Why are you doing this? You know, I always, I think, tell to my players that League isn't a game where you can kind of dilly-dally around. Because every second counts. I always tell them every second counts, right? In a professional League game. Or in a really any really serious game. I always tell them, any every second counts. If you're spending time not doing anything it's time you could have been doing to do something to improve your chance of winning the game so it's literally just wasted opportunity and wasted chances and that's i think something i see of low rank uh, of uh, you know um at least you know certain new players is that for example if you if you watch some new players when they play league once they have the wave shoved um what they what they instead of going on toward or something they i mean they they ward in the most weird places sometimes, maybe sometimes the most not the most ideal. And then after that they'll go into lane and then literally wait in lane for the wave to come back to them, right? And that's something that I always have a pet peeve of. Yes, sometimes you do wait for for the wave to come back to you. However, uh, for, or at least wait for the wave to catch, uh, so you can catch the wave. However, you know most of the time if you're not doing something, right? You're 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 not doing anything. Like I said. So yeah, um, so that's at least my opinion on it. Dang, um, <laughs> I went on a really long tangent there. Anyways, moving back. So um, yeah, so 
let's see, what else can we talk about today? I think, in terms of everything, that seems to be all my thoughts so far. Um, in terms of collegiate stuff, oh, in case anybody wants to, uh, in case there's any high school listeners over here, and want to kind of figure out how you're gonna get your, how you're gonna get started, uh, let's say if you want to play Collegiate League of Legends, you want to start thinking about how you want to play Collegiate League of Legends, right? Um, maybe some resources that you can think of is once you um, apply, once you get accepted to your uni, you know, check check university websites, check um, their clubs. Uh, there, there's normally a club page or something of that sort. It's maybe a Facebook group or something. I know a lot of universities use Facebook. Um, as much as, you know, we consider Facebook old or something, it's unfor- it's what you use, right, in the university to kind of connect with people. So do check out th- uh, those kind of stuff. Check out if your university has a club website, you know, where, you- where they list all their clubs and see if they have an esports club. If yes, do talk to them. Ask them about a team, right? That's how you're going to get your start from collegiate. If I'm going to be honest with you, some um, if you're going to go to, like, a probably a prestigious school, they probably want... Um, a certain rank from you, but do check that. Um, if you want to be super, super safe in terms of like being able to apply to as many different schools, um, except maybe like, you know, if you go to like a Marisol or something, right? Um, if you just want to be super, super safe in terms of, you know, what you like, um, in terms of the, um, what rank you need to hit to kind of try to, to most likely make the team. Uh, it's not a guarantee, of course. I will not ever guarantee that you make a team however a good point not to just get your foot in the door i would say hi diamond try to aim for diamond two or above um i know diamond one is ideal if you get to masters or above you're i think pretty golden um again no guarantees that you make the team because of course you might not be the only master there there might be there might you might be you might might be the only master and then the rest of them are like grandmasters challengers so yeah um, do be careful. However, don't feel bad if, let's say, there are a lot of higher rank people than you. Uh, in my opinion, Challenger sometimes uh, is kind of worthless, to be honest, because there are some Challengers who simply focus on, uh, you know, one champion and can't really play mother, uh, many other champions. So it's it's completely fine. Don't feel too bad about your rank. However, try to get to that diamond one level, because at least you have, at least at that point, you're telling the staff of whichever team you're trying to join that you have the base kind of fundamentals down, and you have the necessary fundamentals to be able to play well, um, and let them decide from there, basically. Um. So yeah, um. So that's how you can get a start in collegiate if you want to look. If any of you are planning to go to uh, UBC, for example. Just funny enough, I might as well plug it while I'm here. It's my podcast after all. Um, Yeah, do check out. I believe we have a Discord. Um, Check check Facebook. I think we have a UBC kind of Facebook. From the Facebook, there should be a link to the Discord. Join the Discord. Get your role. Get your League of Legends role. And, you know, message saying that you want to join. And they might be able to sort you up. If I even see you there, I may be able, I may be able to just, you know, take a look at your VOD real, before pre, um, 
We're not planning to do any tryouts yet, at least. Well, we are doing tryouts, just they're not happening now. They're happening in August. So, um, do keep an eye out for that. But, yes, so I think I will end this podcast here. It has been a decent amount of time. I've been ranting on and on for a long period of time. And, uh, and yeah, my throat is getting really sore. So, thank you guys so much for listening. And I hope that some of you guys find this information useful. I will try to do this podcast weekly. So, hopefully you guys will enjoy that. In any cases, I will see you guys around. Take care.